everybody. I'm thrilled that you are with us this morning. If you're a guest this morning, I just want to take a minute and introduce myself. My name is Will, and I'm the pastor here. Uh, and whether you're here in the room or watching online, we are thrilled that you are with us. Uh, today, we're continuing on in our series where we're looking at purpose. What What is our purpose as individuals, as a church, and then what's God's purpose? So that's what I want us to talk about this morning. And before I jump in, I just want to take a minute because I know at the end of the service, sometimes we are hustling to get out of here. That last week, I want to take a minute and remind you that last week we launched officially our capital campaign, Moving Our Mission Forward, where what we talked about is how we as a church are committed over the next few years to wiping out our debt. Right now, we currently, as a church, carry about $2.8 million in debt. We pay that directly out of our budget. That equals $30,000 a month or $360,000 a year. And we know, as a church, we want to be good stewards of our resources, and we want to use every dollar we have to further the kingdom. And so we've decided now is the time to eliminate this debt. And so we launched our campaign last week. And what we did is we have uh, given you the opportunity to collect a bag, and inside of your bag is all of the material and information you need to know about our campaign. And today, when you came in, you received an information card. Uh, and last week, same thing. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to put your name on this information card. If you did not get your packet last week, just put your name on the information card and turn it in at the desk on your way out the door so you can get your packet and learn more about why we have decided that now is the time to eliminate our debt. We're not asking you to make a pledge today. We're not asking you to volunteer. We simply want you to put your name on this card so we know that you have gotten your materials. And that's for people that are members of our church. Although if you're new and you want that information, you're more than welcome to get it as well. I want to shift gears now and I want us to jump into our sermon time together where we're talking about purpose, as I said. And it's good. It's right for us to begin by reading from scripture together. And so I want to invite you, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 21. If not, I'm going to read to us on the screen, Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read verses one through five. And my translation is a little bit different than yours. So uh, just follow along with the words on the screen as well. Here's what John has to say. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride dressed up for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne, and this is what it said. Look, God has come to dwell with humans. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning, or weeping, or pain anymore, since the first things have passed away. The one who sat on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. And he said, right, because these words are faithful and they are true. So y'all, it was uh, December of 1999, December of 1999, and it was a particular day in 1999. It was December 31st. Do you remember where you were on December 31st of 1999? Do you remember? Some of you might not even be born yet, okay? But I, in December 31st of 1999, I was a 16-year-old kid. 
I was a 16-year-old kid, and on the evening of December 31st, 1999, I was at a party. I was at a party with my friends because that's what you do when you're 16 years old and you ring in the new year. You stay all the way up to midnight. Now I'm lucky for like 8.30 maybe, but then you stayed up until midnight. And December 31st of 1999, y'all, it was not a normal new year, was it? It's not a normal new year at all because on December 31st of 1999, as we went from 99 into the year 2000, people were predicting that something was going to happen. Do you remember this? It was going to be the Y2K bug and computers didn't know how to go from 99 to 2000. I don't understand that, but that's what was. And they were saying all of our systems are going to crash. The electrical grid, the water system, Homeland Security, everything's just going to be turned upside down and the world is going to be in a terrible place. And that's what was being said in popular culture. And what was happening in religious culture on December 31st of 1999 is that pastors in a certain strain of Christian thought had begun to say, yeah, 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 the world is in a bad place. And on December 31st of 1999, as we roll into the year 2000, Jesus is going to come back, okay? And when Jesus comes back, the world is going to come to an end. Now, y'all, you know I did not grow up in church. I did not grow up in church, but growing up in the mountains of Northeast Georgia, you, there is no way to not kind of be permeated with a religious consciousness, right? And so I had heard preachers and my friends talk about what is going to happen when Jesus returns. And let me tell you something, what I had been told, it was absolutely frightening. It was absolutely scary, right? It was going to be this terrible thing. And so on December 31st of 1999, as we're ringing in the new year, we're playing Prince music, right? 2000, zero, zero, party over. Ooh. Okay, never mind. <laughs> then we play that song. And then, y'all, I will never forget this. I am standing outside of my friend's party. And I am looking up into the sky because in, in the book of Daniel, it says that the moon is going to turn to blood and there's going to be all these apocalyptic things that are happening. And I am waiting as the clock is ticking down to the year 2000. And just about 10 seconds before my friends turn on this song from REM. And as the clock turns, here's what I, here's what I hear. It's the end of the world as we know it. And while Michael Stipe felt fine, I did not, okay? And I was freaking out because the world is going to end. But y'all, what happens is that the clock turns and the party continues on. And as it turns out, it wasn't the end of the world. And I did feel fine. But the reality is that as a 16-year-old kid, I had been told that this moment was going to occur when Jesus would return and the world was going to come to an end. We started a series a couple weeks ago about purpose. We started a series a few weeks ago as we turned into this new year where we talked for the first few weeks about your purpose. What is your purpose as an individual? And what we said, if you missed it, was that your purpose is that you are a piece of art, God's epic masterpiece, his poema created by God to go out and do these incredible things in the world. And we talked about that for a few weeks. And then for the last two weeks, we talked about what is our purpose collectively as a church. And what we said is that our purpose as a church is to go out, as Jesus said, and to make disciples, to make followers, to make apprentices, people who are committed to the way of Jesus because it is right and it is true and it is good. That's our purpose as a church. But what I want to do for the next few weeks is I actually want to shift gears a little bit and not necessarily talk about you or talk about us, but I want to talk instead about God. 
I want to talk about God. And for the next few weeks, I want us to center and to ask a few questions. Number one, what is God's purpose? But this week, I want to ask a more pointed question. And here's what I want us to think about, right? What is God's purpose? Are you ready? For creation. What is God's purpose for creation? And while I know that might sound like an obscure question, what I want us to understand this morning is that if we can get a proper answer to that question, what is God's purpose for creation? Not only will it change how we think about God, but more impactfully, what I want us to see is that if we can answer the question, what is God's purpose for creation? Then it will position us to live in a different sort of way. And so that's what I want us to spend our time in this morning. What is God's purpose for creation? And in just a few minutes, we're going to get to what I believe is the biblical answer. What is the Jesus answer to that question? But before we get there, we got to spend just a few minutes talking about some of the popular misconceptions about God's purpose and plan for creation. Okay. How many of you read the Left Behind series, those books? Anybody? Anyway, okay, okay, very good. Uh, how, if you didn't read the book, how many of you watched the Left Behind series movies? Anybody? Okay. Well, you might be thinking, which Left Behind series of movies are you talking about? Because not only have we been blessed with a series of Left Behind movies by uh, Kirk Cameron, but we also have Left Behind series movies by Nicolas Cage, two of the greatest actors of our generation, right? If you're not familiar, okay, so maybe you didn't read the books or you didn't watch the movies and you're sitting there thinking, Will, what in the world is the Left Behind series? Well, let me tell you real quick. The Left Behind series is, a, a, a first and foremost, they're books, and they're written by a guy named Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye. And the basic concept behind this book, and I'm oversimplifying for sure, is this radical idea, right, that we are living right now, we are living in the last days. And according to these books, which they say are rooted in the Bible, what is going to happen is that the world is going to reach a place of ultimate, like we are in a, just awful people and awful leadership and things are going haywire. And according to the Left Behind series, again, I'm oversimplifying, one day Jesus is going to return. And according to these books, Jesus is going to take all of the believers, all of the Christians with him and go up to heaven. There will be a war of sorts that follows after that. But ultimately, what is going to happen is that all Christians are going to leave the earth and they are going to go to their home that is in the heavens. Now, again, I did not grow up in church, but this is the dominant way that I was taught to think about the end of the earth, that one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to take us all to be with him in heaven. There's this really crazy scene in the Kirk Cameron version of the Left Behind movies where he's on a plane and then all of a sudden like, he looks up and the body of the person beside him is gone and it's just his clothes and his underwear sitting in the seat. Like It is remarkably terrible movie stuff, okay? But that's what happens. And very seriously, that's how some of us have been taught to frame what the end of the world is going to look like. A few years before the Left Behind series, there was a guy, um, uh, what was his name? He, uh, Hal Lindsey. Hal, Hal Lindsey wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. And in The Late Great Planet Earth, Hal Lindsey writing in the 70s, it's this 200 page book where he lays out in painstaking detail the prophecy of the Old Testament, the words of Jesus. And at the end of the book, this dude, 
winds up saying, I know how Lindsay says when the world is going to end. And it's going to be, this isn't the exact date, but October 20th, 1976. And y'all, this book sold millions of copies, literally millions of copies. And October 20th, 1976 rolls around and guess what? The world continues on. And, and you know what happens? How Lindsay came out with a second edition of the late great planet Earth. And it was a New York Times bestseller because people were so consumed with this idea of how the world is gonna end and, and the same notion and the same concept and how Lindsay's book, they're in the title, The Late Great Planet Earth. Because according to dominant streams of Christian thought, the idea is that God's purpose for the earth is to ultimately destroy it. God's purpose for us as humans is ultimately to take us to heaven to be with him. And so if I could maybe frame it another way, right? The misconceptions that we have been taught, and this is really important for us to understand, y'all, that most of us, most of us were raised with this idea that creation, it is not central to God's purpose. Most of us were raised, if you were raised in a Christian environment, that creation is not central to God's purpose. And even if you weren't raised in the church, right? If you were raised with a straight scientific understanding of the universe, one day the sun is gonna stop working and then the earth is gonna collapse into a black hole and that's gonna be the end of everything. Creation is not central in a dominant Christian strain of thought, in a scientific frame of thought. And again, I wanna remind you, these are misconceptions. And most of us were raised with this idea that creation, y'all, it was not central to God's purpose. And the reason that this matters, you guys, is it has deep implications for how ultimately we are going to live our lives. I want us to think about this for just a few minutes, right? If creation isn't central to God's purpose and in dominant streams of Christian thought, it isn't, right? I want you to think for a second. Think for a second about the songs we sing, not necessarily in this room, but if you grew up in traditional church, there's a song that we sing all the time. And it goes like this. When we all get to where? Heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory, which implies right now we are not singing. Right now we are not victorious. And that day will only arrive when we get somewhere else. Because creation for so many of us we've been taught is not central to God's purpose. And, and y'all, I know I'm gonna get in the weeds for just a second, so hang with me because the payoff is gonna be there. But you have to understand that that way of processing reality, that way of thinking about God and God's purpose, that is not from Scripture. That way of thinking about God's purpose and God's plan, ultimately, y'all, it is not rooted in the way that Jesus taught and thought and believed, but instead, are you ready for this? That way of thinking is ultimately rooted in Greek philosophy. That way of thinking comes to us, not from Jesus, but it first and foremost comes to us, are you ready? Because I know y'all all read him in high school. It came from Plato. Any Plato fans in the room? <laughs> No, no, okay, I didn't think so. But y'all, here's the deal. Plato, this ancient Greek philosopher, famously, and in ways that most of us don't even consider, he has this incredible idea that the earth is a secondary entity and that ultimately there is something beyond physicality. There is the spiritual. 
And according to Plato, the spiritual is what we yearn for. He talks about it as the world of forms. And one day, he says, after we die, we will leave the physical world and we will go to the spiritual world, the non-material world, the world of forms. Now, does that sound familiar to you? It sounds like every sermon I ever heard about going to heaven when I die. And the thing we have to understand is that that way of thinking does not come from Scripture. It does not come from the Hebrew prophets. Most importantly, it does not come from Jesus. That way of thinking comes from Plato. And the implications of that way of thinking leads us to the place, y'all, where what we do on this earth, ultimately, it doesn't matter. It leads us to think that the goal of human existence is simply to get by so that one day when we die, we can go to be with God. It leads us to think that the way we care for the earth, the way we care for each other, doesn't really matter because there is somewhere else where ultimately we are going. If I can frame it another way, y'all, this way of seeing God's purpose, this way of seeing God's purpose, ultimately it devalues life. It devalues life. It does that because it says to us, this is simply a shadow of something that is, that there's something more real to come in the future. And unfortunately, that Greek way of thought that comes to us from Plato and the apology, that way that does not originate with the prophets or with Jesus, it has infiltrated Christian thought. And that, y'all, I know this is going to sound crazy, but that's how many of us were taught to process faith. And what you have to understand this morning is that that is a parody. That isn't God's plan for creation. God has a purpose for creation. God has something bigger and better and more magnificent in store. And if we can begin to see it properly, it will change the way that we see God. But the other thing is it will change the way we live right here and right now. So having addressed some of those misconceptions about God's purpose for creation, now what I want to do is I want us to turn our attention to Scripture. I want us to turn our attention to Jesus. I want us to turn our attention to what is the narrative for how we shape our thoughts and our beliefs. And in order to do that, you know, I read to you just a minute ago from Revelation, but in order to get a proper understanding of God's purposes for creation, you don't start with Revelation. You actually go all the way back to Genesis. And you go back to the beginning of all things, right? When the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face of the deep in Genesis chapter 1. And the story says that God spoke. And I, and I talk about this pretty regularly here at First Baptist, that God spoke and things came into existence. There was nothing. And then through the creative activity of God, through the spoken word, things come into existence, the plants and the trees and the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, everything that walks along the ground. And ultimately, what God says in Genesis chapter 1 on the sixth day of creation is that he creates you and he creates me. And he looks at us and he says, yeah, it's good. And then according to Genesis, what happens is that God looks out over all he had created, not just me and not just you, but on all that he had made. And what does God say? It is very good. It's not just kind of good. It's not just like, oh, well, it's okay, but I'll throw it in the trash. No, no, it is, it is very good. It is God's creative action rooted in love. And he looks at all he has made and he has said, it is good. And if that is the starting place 
as we seek to find God's purpose for creation, it radically shifts our attention. Because if God says it is good, and if God created it out of love and generosity, then please understand, just use your logical mind for a few moments. If it is not only good, but very good, then how would it make sense in the fullness of time that God ultimately says, I'm going to throw it in the scrap heap. I'm going to get rid of it because there is something better somewhere else. No, y'all, when God said it is good, he meant it. And the story says that sin entered into the world and that there is brokenness and that there is sin that is present. But ultimately, y'all, the creation of God, he intends to make it very good again. And he's never going to throw it away. And he's never going to scrap it for a secondary plan. But according to Scripture, God declares the final word on creation. And it is very good. And God has a purpose for it. One of my favorite books in the Bible is Paul's letter to the church at Rome. It's a church that he had never met before, but he was hoping to go and sit with them and get to be with them. And by the way, just a shameless plug real quick. On Wednesday night, I and Laurel Landon are teaching a, a study on the book of Romans in the chapel at six o'clock. You should come and join us. We are in chapter six and it is delightful right now. But if you want to read Paul's letter to the church at Rome, right, it's a broad, expansive letter, a whole lot of things going on. And you can easily get lost in it. But there's one section in Romans chapter eight, which I believe is the center of the letter. And in Romans chapter eight, when when Paul is talking about the restoration, the redemption, the recreation of all things, the beauty of God that we have found in the gospel. Y'all listen to this in Romans chapter eight, verse 19. Here's what Paul has to say. Not, not us, not humanity, but are you ready? Creation itself is on tiptoe with expectation. Creation itself is on tiptoe with expectation, eagerly awaiting the moment when God's children will be revealed. If I can translate that just a little bit, eagerly awaiting the moment when Christ will return and not take us somewhere else. But creation is waiting for the moment when Christ returns and he restores all things and he renews all things and he redeems and he recreates all things. No, he's not scrapping creation, but he's going to fulfill the original intent that it is very good. Creation itself, Paul says, in accordance with Genesis chapter one, is waiting for the time when it will be as it was intended to be. When you go and you read the prophets of the Old Testament, when you read Isaiah, when you read Ezekiel, you find these incredible passages where talking about when God returns to Zion and makes the world as he promised to make it. There are these beautiful passages about the mountains that are singing and the animals that are clapping their hands because God has returned home. And y'all, the biblical picture of creation is not one that will be disposed of, but the biblical picture of creation is one that has a purpose in God's overarching plan. And if we can understand that, y'all, it changes the way that we live our lives because life is not something just to get through, but life is something to embrace right here and right now. I read to you from Revelation chapter 21, right? 
Most of us, if you grew up in the church, you had some sort of exposure to Revelation. And if you have, you know that Revelation has these really crazy stories inside of it, right? There's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. There's the whore of Babylon who sits on a chariot and there's like death everywhere and war and pestilence and all these things. And, and I know that most people, when they read the book of Revelation, they will say, yep, hard pass. I don't want to deal with that, okay? And if that's you, I get it. But what I want us to understand is that properly understood, the book of Revelation is not a book to be afraid of. And, and it's not a book that is supposed to scare us. But in its original intent, the book of Revelation is written by a man named John. And John is writing this letter to a church and it is not intended to scare them, uh, seven churches actually, it is intended to give them hope because the church in Revelation, they're living in the midst of the Roman Empire and they're being persecuted because of their faith and they're being killed because of their faith. And John is writing to these churches saying, don't give up, don't, don't forget about the way of Jesus because it is going somewhere. Jesus is going to return and something is going to happen. So you don't need to be afraid. Remain steadfast in your faith. And it's not something to be afraid of, but it's something to embrace. Because the story, John says, is headed somewhere and it's headed somewhere good. And in Revelation chapter 21, the very last thing that I read to you, we find the final picture what is God ultimately up to? How is God going to sort out the mess that has become of this world? Is he going to scrap it and start all over somewhere else? Is he going to just say, oh, well, I tried, but it didn't work? Is that what God is going to do? And according to Revelation chapter 21, y'all, when we get to this final section, the most beautiful words, I think, maybe in the whole of the Bible, what do we read? But the voice from the throne, the voice of God, God's self says, look, God has come. Are you ready? God has come to dwell with humans and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and he will be their God. Look, God is making his home with humans. And contrary to this crazy idea that we have been taught, so many of us have been taught that ultimately the plan is for humans to go to heaven to be with God when we understand the story in its proper perspective, what we, what we begin to see, y'all, is that we're not going anywhere. But God's coming here. And if God is coming here, and if God will fulfill his purpose and creation is yearning with expectation for the day when that will arrive, y'all, we don't have to think we're going somewhere else, but we can embrace this place where we are right now because God's plan is to restore it and God's plan is to redeem it and God's plan is to make this his home. And if we believe that is true, and ultimately we do, y'all, to me, this is the most beautiful thing in the whole of Scripture. Because if we believe that this is true, it changes how we live. It changes how we live right here. And you can take that slide down. It changes how we live right here, and it changes how we live right now. Because if God's purpose is to restore it, and God's purpose is to recreate it, and God's purpose is to fulfill it, y'all, get ready. This is where the story takes the most fascinating turn. What we as followers of Jesus believe, are you ready? Is that that process has already begun in Jesus. 
that on Easter Sunday morning when Jesus Christ emerged from the tomb, when the stone was rolled away and he walked out into newness of life, what we proclaim here in the church is that God has already begun the process of restoring. God has already begun the process of recreating because Jesus defeated death. And if Jesus has defeated death, and if Jesus, as he said, listen, y'all, he said it, if he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And y'all, God's plan is not to scrap this thing, but God's plan is to make it right. And the process has begun through Easter Sunday morning and through the resurrection. What is God's plan for creation? And ultimately, it is to make all things right. And if that is God's plan, and if the process has begun through the resurrection of Jesus, then can I tell you something, church? I'm talking to Jesus people right now. We have work to do. Right? There's this beautiful word from Paul in his letter to the church at Colossae where he says that anyone who is in Christ Jesus, do you know what he calls us? New creation, that we have been crucified with Christ and raised into newness of life. And we are to be, are you ready? A taste of what God is ultimately going to do when he makes it all right that we are called to be people who are so filled with the Spirit that we show the world what God is ultimately going to do through the way that we live our lives. We're not called to wait to go to heaven when we die, but we're called to bring a little bit of heaven right here to the earth. You see, if we understand God's purpose for creation, then it changes how we live. One of my favorite writers, you know this, one of my favorite thinkers is a guy named N.T. Wright. And in one of his most famous books, he's got this beautiful quote, and I just want to end with this. Here's what Tom Wright says, that we as the church, we as followers of Jesus, we are called to be small working models of that new creation. And so we live our days with the understanding that God will make it all right, not somewhere else, but right here. And in the meantime, church, we have work to do. And so every act of kindness and every act of generosity, every act of grace and forgiveness and gratitude and reconciliation, we are working models of what God will do for all creation. So let's go. Let's go and do our work, not waiting for heaven one day, but helping to bring heaven right here and right now. Let's take a few moments now. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful. We are grateful for this morning where we can come and we can celebrate you and we can sing, God, a thousand hallelujahs forevermore. Lord, some of us are here this morning and, and we, throughout our lives, I think maybe all of us have been taught that the goal of Christianity is to take us somewhere else when we die. And on this morning, oh Lord, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds so that we can see, God, we're not going somewhere else, but you are coming here. And so, God, as we go throughout our days, as we live our lives, help us to be mindful of that. And, Lord, for us here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta, help us to be a signpost. Help us to show people what it will look like when you make all things new. Lord, help us to see that you have a purpose for creation and that, God, it will be good. 
Be with us as we continue to worship. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.